Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to two places, James 5, uh, we're going to continue in our series in James, and then 1 Timothy 6, we're going to be in both of those, both of those places today, uh, James 5 and then 1 Timothy 6. We've been in this series in the book of James for some time, and James has been calling us to a true and living faith. James has been very concerned that the faith we profess get expressed in every area of our lives, and he's been pressing it in to those areas throughout the book. Now, last week, we talked about two theological documents that every one of us have. Every one of us have two theological documents that reveal what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about what's valuable. Uh, Those are our calendar and our checkbook. And last week we talked about this one life that we get to live. We have one life that we need to live with gospel intentionality. Um, And this week we're going to talk about that other theological document, our checkbook. And James is going to be pressing this call to true and living faith into our lives, but he does it in a way that's a little bit backward. What James does in James chapter 5 is not speak directly to believers or even give a lot of instruction to believers. He's actually speaking to and about those who are not followers of Jesus, who are misusing money and mistreating people, and he's pronouncing a lot of judgment on them in James chapter 5. And he's doing it so that those who are faithful, those who are followers of Jesus, will not want what these unfaithful rich people have. And I, and I think he's on to something in the way he's handling this, because uh, my experience is that we have very low self-awareness around money as followers of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Anytime we read about rich people in the Bible, we never think that means us. We always think that means, you know, those really, really, really rich people. It's not, it's not talking about suburban American Christians. We always think it's someone else. Uh, the second, second thing, we, we always think these, the danger of the love of money is far away from us. We, we don't think that we love money. We just think we want more. Finally, we always think that the answer to our money problems is more money rather than more contentment. And, and sometimes, sometimes the answer to our money problem is more money, but rarely is that the case. It's usually an issue of more contentment. And so James is giving a warning in James 5, 1 through 6 to unfaithful rich people. And then we're going to look at what Paul says to faithful rich people in 1 Timothy 6. And my hope is that we would leave here loving God and not loving money today. Let's look at James 5, 1 through 6. James says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and there's corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you've kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we come to you now because we long to hear and see wonderful things from your word. And Lord, there's some things in this passage that are, that are challenging to us. There's some things about this topic that are challenging, Lord. I, I pray that you would grant, that you'd grant us self-awareness around the wealth that you have entrusted to us as we think about a global economy, that we are, we are wealthy people in this room. Lord, I pray also for those who have had just deep uh, wounds and hurts around money in a church. Lord, where they felt shamed and condemned and, uh, or they, they saw mismanagement and, and other things. Lord, I, I just pray that as we, as we look at what your word says about money, Lord, that you would provide some healing uh, for those things. And Lord, that as we think about this topic that Jesus taught more about than anything, any other topic combined, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us, that you'd help us understand what your word says and that we'd apply it to our lives. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see how the Bible speaks to two groups of people, unfaithful rich people in James 5, and then faithful rich people in 1 Timothy 6. Let's start with unfaithful rich people here in James 5. Now notice, James is crying out to rich people as if they're facing final judgment right now. Okay? He's kind of speaking in present tense about something that's coming. Look at verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. So James is not speaking to Christians here. He's speaking to these unfaithful rich people who are under the judgment of God so that the Christians will not envy what these rich people have. And James seems to be uh, remembering what his half-brother Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So these unfaithful rich people are not following the words of Jesus and James is speaking judgment on them. He's speaking judgment on them. And he's speaking that for two reasons. They've misused money and they've mistreated people. They've misused money in that they've tried to make money do something money was never built to do. He says, uh, James says in verse three, you've laid up treasure in the last days. What they, what's happened with these people is that they are treating money like something that can save their soul. They have taken money and they're trying to make money do something money was never meant to do. They're trusting that on the last day, they'll have enough money to secure their eternity. And James says, that's not happening, and you've got misery and judgment coming upon you, James says. Your, your riches have rotted, your garments are eaten, your uh, riches have corroded. In other words, you've tried to make money do something money was never meant to do. Listen, money is great for buying groceries. It's horrible at being God. Okay, 
Money, money is great for buying groceries. We need money to live in the world. But it's horrible at being God. Money will never satisfy you. It will never satisfy the, the longings of our heart. And it will certainly not purchase our eternity. Ecclesiastes 5 says it this way. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Let me read that again. He who loves money. In other words, if you're trusting in money, if you're misusing money, if you think money is the answer to the desires of your heart, he says, he who loves money will not ever be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Now, if you don't believe the Bible, listen to someone who had money. Uh, This is from Rockefeller, like Christmas tree Rockefeller, like big building in New York Rockefeller. He says this, I've made many millions but they've brought me no happiness. When we trust in our money, it will never give us what we're expecting it to. Money's great for buying groceries. It's horrible at being God. And we, we misuse money in two ways. We try to spend too much. Here's what I mean by that. We think that by accumulating stuff, we want new and shiny, that by accumulating a lot of stuff, we'll finally have this sense that we're okay, this feeling in our heart that we're, we're good enough, finally, if we spend enough money. And it's really not about new and shiny. It's about new and shinier. It's not enough for it to be new. It's got to be newer than your friend or newer than your neighbor. And so we spend money we don't have to, to buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like. And and we think that by spending, we'll have this sense that we finally have enough. Now, another way we misuse money is by saving. Now, listen, just like there's nothing wrong with spending money, there's nothing wrong with saving money either. Get your Dave Ramsey on, work your baby steps, do all of that to the glory of God. But if you're trusting your savings and not your Savior, that's a problem. If you're trusting the zeros you have in your account, that's a problem. And sometimes we can think, if I have enough money in my account, I'll be okay. That's another way we misuse money. And James is speaking to these unfaithful people who think their money is their hope. And he says there's judgment coming because money was never meant to give us what it cannot give. Second thing, James calls these unfaithful rich people out for mistreating people. In verse 4, look at this. James says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James calls these rich people out because they've abused people who worked for them. They didn't pay appropriate wages. They oppressed people who worked for them. He, he's calling out these poor business practices that mistreat people for profit. James says this is not the way it ought to be. Second, he calls them out because they've ignored those in need around them in verse 5. He says you've, you've, lived in lux- you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. In other words, you're just living for yourself. You're not even concerned about other people. Rather than being a conduit of wealth, you've become a container for it, James says. And then finally, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, this is kind of the culmination of what James has been saying about how rich people are treating Christians in the book of James. Um, he speaks in chapter 2 about how Christians would show partiality to the rich people that would come to their assemblies. 
And James would say, look, they're the ones that are oppressing you and dragging you into court. And now here he says they're even murdering Christians. These are unfaithful rich people who are misusing money. They're trying to make money do something it was never meant to do. And they're mistreating people. They're, they're not treating people in a way that people are meant to be treated. And so James says, look, um, uh, weep and howl for miseries that are coming upon you. Uh, you've laid up treasure in the last days. It's not going to save you. And he just kind of drops the mic on them. There, there's, no, there's no Jesus died for your sin. There's no if you repent. It's just you're going to hell. Boom, is what James does here. And he gives this warning so that believers will not want what these rich people have. Now, to be clear, James is not speaking of all rich people here. He's speaking of unfaithful rich people here. And that's good news because all of us are rich in a global economy. Like if you make more than $1,500 a month, you're in like the top 3% of people around the world. Okay? So, so James, James is not anti-rich people. The Bible is not anti-rich people. The Bible is anti-unfaithful people and calls unfaithful people to repentance and faith in Jesus. And so the question would be then, what about rich people who want to be faithful? What if God's blessed me with money? What if God's blessed me with wealth? What do I do? I hope I, hope I don't have to fit in this passage. Well, no, you don't, because Paul in 1 Timothy 6 tells Timothy what to say to people like us. Look over at 1 Timothy 6. Whereas James is engaging unfaithful rich people, Paul is going to speak to faithful rich people, or at least, you know, those who would aspire to be. Let's say it that way. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. Now, Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor at a church. He's trying to lead and organize this church and shepherd these people. And now Paul gets to how Timothy should speak to rich people. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, Paul is speaking to these faithful, rich people here, and he gives them three things they need to do if they have been blessed with money in this age. First, they need to be humble and holy. Humble and holy. Look at verse 17. He says, as for the rich, charge them not to be haughty. Now that's a word that means proud. It's a, a word that means you think that because you have money, you're better than others. Therefore, you can mistreat people. You can misuse them. And because you have money and power and status, you can treat others in a way that you would never want to be treated. Paul says, charge them not to be haughty. The opposite of that would be to be humble. So if you are a rich, wealthy person, be humble. Second, we're also to be holy. Paul says, not, and charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So these faithful rich people are to be humble people, and they are to set their hope not on the uncertainty of riches. Listen, if we are setting our hope on money, it can be taken away in a moment. A moment it can be taken away. 
And Paul says, charge them not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And so we're to be a humble, holy people who are set apart in that our hope is set on God, not our money. The second thing Paul commands Timothy to teach them is that they would be grateful and generous. We see that at the end of verse 17 and 18. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. I love, I absolutely love that Paul tells Timothy to tell rich people to enjoy what God has provided. There's something about many of us. Now, some of you, some of you are not put together this way, but many of us are put together in a way that when we buy something or get something or do something, that we feel the need to explain it. Well, I got it on sale. I got a good deal. Like we can't just have something new and feel good about enjoying what God has provided. We've got to explain it for everybody else to feel good about us. And what Paul tells Timothy to tell these rich people is God richly provides you with things to enjoy, so be grateful. Listen, there are some things some of you are going to get to do because of what God has provided that I would never dream of getting to do. There are some things I'm going to get to do that some of you may never get to do as well. And so what God has provided, we should enjoy and be grateful and roll all of our gratitude up into thanksgiving and praise to God for what he has provided. We don't have to be ashamed or, or um, guilty because God has provided some things for us. We can enjoy them and we can be grateful and we need to be generous. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. I think it's really interesting that Paul starts with doing good. So rich, faithful, rich people are to be generous with their time. They are to do good, not just fund good. Now, one of the challenges with wealthy, uh, with faithful rich people is that it is much easier to write a check than it is to block time in their calendar. And Paul says, remind them to do good, to be rich in good works. They are to be grateful for what God has provided. They are to be generous with their time and with their money. With their money, he says. They're to be generous and ready to share. Faithful rich people are to be generous with their money. We're, we're to be conduits of God's money, not containers for it. That's what faithful rich people do. They're generous. They're generous and ready to share. And then finally, faithful rich people are to be earnest and eternal. Earnest is a word that means intentional. It means living with conviction. And that's what he describes in verse 19. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation of the future. So not trusting our earthly treasure, but storing up eternal treasure in our generosity and investing the money God has blessed us with. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we are to invest the money God has blessed us. We're, we're to be earnest. We're to be intentional. We're to live with conviction around this idea of investing the money God has blessed us with for eternal things. So we're to be earnest and eternal in our mindset. And that's the end of verse 19. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
Money is not your life. Money is not your life. The accumulation of more money is not your life. There is life in Jesus and in him alone that money will never provide you. And so Paul calls them to be earnest, to live with conviction, and to be eternal in their mindset there. So James issues a warning. Don't misuse money. Don't treat money like it's your savior. Don't put your hope in money because it can be gone in a moment. Don't mistreat people who work for you or who live around you. And then James holds out the way that we would be humble and holy, that we'd be grateful and generous, that we'd be earnest and eternal. So how do we apply this today? Well, two questions. First one is this. How are you investing your money for eternal purposes? Now, the first problem, the first thing I need to point out is that question's wrong. It's not your money. It's God's money that he has entrusted you with. I'm going to say that again. It's not your money. I don't care how much you sweat to earn it. I don't care how hard you work. I don't care how many hours you work. It is God's money he's entrusted to you. And so the question is not how are you investing your money? The question is how are you investing God's money? And how are you investing it for eternal purposes? We are to be conduits of wealth, not containers for it. We're we're to be a people who are blessed to be a blessing. That's what we're to be. If we're to be faithful, rich people. And again, in the global economy, we are very, very rich. So how are you investing your money, the money God has entrusted to you, for his eternal purposes? I was talking to a pastor, and I want to be really careful because I don't know if this story is real public yet, but I was talking to a pastor who planted a church in a very expensive area. Uh, they still meet in a rented facility, and uh, he, he was uh, one Sunday, a guy came up to him and said, hey, look, I want to talk to you about what's going on in your church and kind of hear the vision for your church. And so they met and had lunch, and he was talking about their desire to make disciples and plant churches and develop leaders and, and all these things that they wanted to do. And then the guy said, well, what about, what about a building? Because they're still meeting in a, in a rented set-up, tear-down kind of situation facility. He said, well, we would love to have a building. It's just very expensive here. And in fact, I've got some land I've been looking at. And so they get in the car and they drive by and he shows them the land. It's six acres, three quarters of a million dollars for six acres. And that's a good price where they live. And so he says, look, this is what we want. We've been praying for this, but we're not going to finance it. There's no way we can afford it. And so the guy looks at him and he says, well, what if I buy it and donate it? He's like, well, that, that'd, be, that'd be okay. You know, we, we can work that out. I, mean, I don't know. How do, you even, how do you even respond to that, right? And this is a guy that just, just stroked a check for $750,000 for a piece of land to donate. Now, none of, I, I dare say none of us could do that without going to prison, right? We, we could write the check. We know how to write that check, but it would not be good to drop it, Right? But this guy, I mean, God had entrusted him with that kind of wealth where he could stroke a check for $750,000 and donate that property to the church. Now listen, none of us would write a check like that, but you take some zeros off of it and we could. We could invest the money God has entrusted us with for his eternal purposes, and that's what we're called to do. I want to give you three ways you might do that between now and the end of the year. First, just your regular faithful giving to the work of Jesus here at Exodus. I've been so grateful, and I want to say this, I've been so grateful 
for how faithful our people have been this year. It would have been very easy to not be so. And our people have been faithful and generous in giving. And I want to say thank you. And if you call Exodus home and you're not yet giving, I want to encourage you to do that. The general, the general teaching of the Bible is that God's people fund God's work with God's resources. That's the general teaching of the whole Bible. Okay? Let, don't, don't, let's not get tripped up on percentages and, and, and old covenant stuff. Just look, the, the general focus of the Bible is that God's people fund God's work with God's resources. And I want to encourage you, if you call Exodus home, to do that. In a few weeks, we're going to be releasing our 2021 budget. Um, one of the things, and that's a theological document, okay? That's telling you something about what we believe about God, what's important, and, and other things. The thing I'm most excited about about our budget next year is we, Lord willing, we intend to give away more next year than we took in in the first two years of our church. We plan to give away $160,000, Lord willing, to the work of missions and ministry around the world. And I'm so excited about being generous like that because we want to be a conduit of God's resources, not a container for it, okay? So I'm super excited. You'll hear more about that in the next few weeks. Second way you can invest your resources through the end of this year is Angel Tree. You'll hear more about that during announcements, but uh, next week in the commons, there'll be a Christmas tree up. There'll be little uh, tags on it uh, that we get from a local elementary school where uh, there are children who are in need um, there'll be some information about that child and some things on that that you can purchase for them. Uh, you go and purchase those things. You bring them back unwrapped. We give them to the family so the family can bless their children with it at Christmas. It's a great way to invest and to be generous and ready to share. Third way, uh, you'll hear more about this after Thanksgiving, uh, our international missions offering. Every year at Christmas, we take up money, and 100% of that money goes out of us to our international partners in Colombia in um, Guatemala, in Africa, and in Dubai to bless them so that we can help be a part of what they're doing in those places for the glory of God. And so I want to encourage you to be generous and ready to share. I want you to encourage, to encourage you to be a conduit of God's blessing, not a container for it. So how are you investing God's money that he's entrusted to you in eternal purposes? And then lastly, where's your hope? Where's your hope? Both James and Paul warn us about hoping in money. James, James is dropping a bomb on unfaithful rich people. These people who have misused money, who are mistreating people. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't offer a whole lot of hope. So I want to share what James neglected to. That if you have done that, if you're an unfaithful rich person and you've misused money and mistreated people, you need to know that God loves you. And he does not want you to experience what James describes. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live, die, and rise again so that you could be forgiven for all the ways you've misused money and mistreated people so that you could be free from that love of money where you think that your hope is money. And if you will simply place your faith and hope in Jesus, you can be forgiven and you can be free and not have to face what James describes in James chapter 5. And what you need to know, if you're an unfaithful rich person, Jesus says it's very hard for you to be saved. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's very challenging for rich people to be saved. Why? Because they've got to admit that their wealth can't save them. They've got to humble themselves and ask for something 
they don't know much about, and that's grace, a gift that you can't pay back and you don't deserve. He said it's, um, he said it's hard. He didn't say it's impossible. So if you're an unfaithful rich person, there's grace for you today. There's grace to deliver you from the, the kind of um, life that no one really wants. That kind of life James is describing, none of us really want that. Then there's also hope for those who are faithful rich people. It's a good reminder for us not to set our hope on the uncertainty of riches. If you've trusted Christ today, sometimes we're tempted to also trust your money. So where's your hope today? Where's your hope? Listen, money is great for buying groceries. It's horrible at being God. It's horrible at being God. It will not satisfy the longings of your heart. And so if you, if you aspire to be a faithful, rich person, you aspire to be a person who's faithful with what God has granted you, I have one more verse I want to read. It's from Hebrews 13, 5. It says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, usually we end there and it's all about duty. Oh, no, I need to be content. You know, I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. But that's not, that's not how the verse ends. Listen. It says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The reason we can be content with what we have is because we have him. He has provided us everything to rich. He has richly provided us everything to enjoy, and that includes him. And he will never leave us or forsake us. Your money will leave you. He will not. Your money will forsake you. He will not. Your money will never do what it promises, and he will keep every promise he has made. And so where's your hope today? We can be content with what we have because we have him. Where's your hope? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us that's richly displayed, not only in the gift of your son, but in the gift of so many things that we, that we get to enjoy and we get to be generous with. So Lord, would you make us a people, corporately and individually, who are a conduit of your, of your resources, not a container. Lord, make us conduits of your resources, not a container. Help us, help us to be humble, holy people who are grateful and generous, who live with an earnest conviction for the eternal. Lord, make us those people. Make us those people, we pray. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.